The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this Monday morning. A new phase in the trade war. Washington imposes a fresh 15% levy on a range of Chinese goods, while Beijing hits back with a 5% tariff on U.S. crude. But President Trump says talks are still planned for this month. We are talking to China. The meeting is still on. It hasn't changed. They haven't changed it. We haven't. We'll see what happens. But we can't allow China to rip us off anymore as a country. We can't allow China to take $500 billion a year out of our country. Protests in Hong Kong turn violent after pro-democracy demonstrators clash with police as thousands block roads and transport links to the airport. Italy's Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte says he's confident of a positive outcome in the coalition talks. As five-star leader Luigi Di Maio tells CNBC exclusively he's prepared to enter a new government if the terms are right. I want to give a government to this country, but not at all costs. If another Conte government is formed, it will be formed because we have in the government program the issues that interest people, and we must not at all approximate these issues. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson warns rebel Conservative MPs they risk being expelled from the party if they help opposition lawmakers block a no-deal Brexit in a move which could sacrifice the Prime Minister's majority. And at this hour, Germany's far-right AFD makes sweeping gains in two regional elections in a blow to the country's mainstream parties. Argentina imposes currency controls in a bid to stave off an economic crisis after the peso loses more than a quarter of its value since last month's primary elections. And Hurricane Dorian pummels the Bahamas as the second strongest Atlantic storm on record edges closer to Florida. Very good morning to you. Happy U.S. Labor Day if you're up nice and early in the United States. In fact, in many parts of the U.S., of course, it's still Sunday evening. But, of course, that means a really calm, sedate start to the week. No, I'm only joking. It's not going to be calm and sedate at all, is it? We've got absolutely everything kicking off all around the world, from political consternation in Asia, in Europe, in the U.S., to a whole host of data, uh, to a whole host of market events across the board as well. Let's go through one or two of them, looking backwards, then we'll go forwards. So the U.S. markets on Friday... Well, patchy, really, but my goodness me, what a quarter, what a month we've seen uh, out of the U.S. markets so far. Week to date, the markets had a very good run. The Dow was up 3%, the S&P up around about 2.8%. But on the month, that wasn't enough to rescue the market in the month of August. Down one7 for the Dow, down 1.8% uh, month to date for the S&P, down 2.6% for the Nasdaq. In looking at the European indices, very interesting to see the FTSE got an absolute drubbing uh, in the the month down 5% as opposed to the DAX down 2% and the Kakarant down 0.7%. The dollar crosses, let's have a look at those. Uh, they look like this. Uh, Euro dollar trading 109.88. 
Cable 121.59, the important dollar yuan pair 716 as well. So as we look at WTI Brent and gold, uh, and of course uh, WTI and Brent and energy related stocks had a very tough month. Brent down 7.3%, but up the best part of 2% last week as well. We look at all those events I'm talking about. So let's just go through, for instance, our headlines. Uh, Italy still trying to form a government. Germany, the AFD surging, but not quite knocking off uh, the government uh, and the coalition out of its top spot, but really having a great surge in a couple of those uh, regional elections. In Britain, a huge week for Brexit. What happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Absolutely key, potentially, for the destination of Brexit. Over in Asia, we've seen very mixed data with official manufacturing versus the Kaishin, uh, adding some questions there to what is going on. Plus, we've seen increases in tariffs. Plus, we've got payroll on Friday. I told you it was going to be a busy week and my goodness me it will be. Hang Sang is currently down 122 points. The Nikkei down 0.33 of 1%. So European markets which last month as I say led lower by the FTSE. Let's have a look at the opening calls for the European markets. FTSE called to 7200. A little bit of form towards the tail end of the week. 11,926 for the Zetradax. 5,474 for the Cat Caron. But plenty going on and that is why all three of us sat there rested all weekend. We got eight and a half hours sleep every night and no alcohol was consumed across the board. Good morning, Juliana. Good morning, Steve. Uh, good morning, Jeffrey. How are you? I don't, I don't recognise that depiction of the weekend <laughs> that just passed. Kills, so, somehow that didn't gel with how my weekend went, but that was your weekend, was it? Give or take. Give or take. <laughs> All right. Good morning anyway. Good morning, Juliana. Um, let's talk about the trade war. The US and China have escalated their trade war with the implementation of fresh tariffs. Washington has targeted $125 billion worth of Chinese imports with a 15% levy, while Beijing retaliated with tariffs on $75 billion worth of US exports. President Trump has insisted that trade talks will stay, still take place, however, this month despite further U.S. measures scheduled for October and December. China has not confirmed they will come to the table. Uh, fresh data has painted a divergent picture of Chinese manufacturing health. The private Kaishin servers, I mentioned, showed factory activity in expansion territory at 50.4, whilst analysts had expected a continued decline. But the larger state enterprise-focused National Bureau of Statistics survey pointed to a fall in manufacturing activity for the fourth straight month. Well, as we saw, some pretty hard questioning for one or two of our guests on their investment scenarios at the tail end of last week. So we built up to a, a cacophony of aggression, perhaps, as well. But James Ath is the other end of the spectrum. He's our first guest of the week. He's a senior investment manager at Aberdeen Standard Investments. So he gets a nice, easy dolly to start off with. What do you think of the markets, James? Good morning. Come be gentle with me this morning, Steve. <laughs> Did you have a big weekend, James? That's your second no, question. No, absolutely. As you, you know, depicted, I had a very quiet, <laughs> restful weekend preparing and myself mentally. And has it made you contemplate the world we live in? I tried not to, to be honest. <laughs> really? Are you worried about things? I've, well, over the weekend, it's quite nice to turn your brain off a little bit, isn't it? Because mm. uh, Monday to Friday, it's quite hectic at the minute. families. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a Spurs fan, so it's a big day yesterday. Oh, so. I watched that game. Yeah, you yeah. blew a lead. Yeah, um, exactly. Right, OK. <laughs> very Spursy. You were tuning up against Very Spursy, as they yeah. say, Steve. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very good do. game, actually. What I don't watch do a lot of football. Anyway, tell us about the yeah, markets. What do you think of markets? I, I sense some consternation where you are. Yeah, uh, tactically maybe. I think on a strategic horizon, I feel quite comfortable that the sort of base case on which we've been investing is 
is playing out and I think is likely to continue to play out, which is to say we've seen the best of it in the global cycle, we've seen the best of it in the US cycle. Does that but mean we've seen the best of it in equity markets and investment? Because all of our viewers are, are scratching around and there's some horrendous statistics about the lack of available uh, products to buy out there at the moment, which will give you some form of safety. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, the, the yield conversation is one which has been going on years and years. I don't particularly like that. Have we seen the best of it on inequities in terms of could we be two, three, four percent higher in a day, in a week? Absolutely, I have no idea because that's very difficult to call. If I were to look at the medium term horizon and the asymmetries of returns which are likely to exist almost across the board, then overwhelmingly, yes, we have seen the best of it in equities. Isn't there, aren't you taking a, a risk here, though? Because classically, the end of cycle bubble tends to be one of the meatiest opportunities for brave equity investors. And we know as we look around the world right now, the central banks are at the early stages of another global easing cycle. There is an opportunity here, isn't there? Assuming that the central banks are able to wring the same results from investable assets that they have in the past for us to have a bit of a pop here before we ultimately see the end of cycle. Potentially. I mean, you, you've made a couple of assumptions that we need to agree with to, to sort of um, get your thesis to play out, which is first and foremost to say, can central banks have the same impact at this stage so, that they have in the past? Well, let me say, let me push back. You're making an assumption that this time it's different. If that's the assumption you're making, why is it different this time? Because every other time we've seen the central banks engage in this game in recent years, it's worked. Well, no, that's not true. I mean, if you go back to any other cycle, central banks ease, but that doesn't stop equity markets falling. The difference is whether or not the underlying economy is in a sort of sideways trend, an improving trend or a declining trend. And so normally what you see is that the, you know, the economy moves first and tends to show some signs of a topping out process and the central bank responds. And maybe the first hike or maybe the first two hikes seem to buoy equity markets, but then it becomes clear that actually underneath all of that, things are worse than we thought. And actually, when it comes to data and inflection point, it's very tricky. And what we tend to see is that when we go back and look at second and third vintages of data, things are a lot worse than we thought they were when they were first reported. So that's something I've been watching out very closely for, and we're starting to see some evidence of that process. You know, we had the, the annual benchmark revisions for payrolls this last week or the week before, mm. and that was a negative 501,000 revision to the March 18 to March 19 year. So actually, that was a, a part where we weren't really concerned about the economy at all, and it already turns out that we were overestimating the, the, the sort of level of jobs growth, shall we say. So that process tends to be tricky around inflection points, but it also tends to be the case that once the market cottons onto the fact that the economy is in a declining trend, then there's not a lot central banks can do about it in the short term. Now, a huge amount depends on China and Chinese growth prospects. Great and overnight, trip. we got a fairly divergent picture when it comes to manufacturing with the Kaishin coming in in growth territory, but the official PMI for manufacturing coming in in contraction. What are you thinking about stimulus coming from the Chinese authorities uh, at this stage? Yeah, and that, to, to, you know, base, my base case, that's probably the biggest view, um, risk which exists to it out there, which is to say that so far China has shown a pretty steady hand in trying to deal more with the deleveraging problems, the overcapacity problems, essentially the unsustainability of their growth model to this point, than they have worrying about you know, how uh, rapidly the economy is slowing. Uh, 
as it stands, I don't think we see any signs that the, the policymakers are changing their approach, which I think is a healthy thing for the medium-term future of the Chinese economy. But of course, if they were to revert to previous instances where they've seen their economy slowing dramatically and really get what we call the big stick out, then that has the potential to be a real upside risk relative to my forecast. So it's so fascinating. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, just fascinating. Just to wrap up, because I know this is the last question, but you're staying with us for the hour. You have made no changes to the portfolio as it currently stands over this recent period. Why not? You, you just don't see anything that justifies adjustments in your current positioning. I mean, it depends which portfolio. Some of them we've de-risked a little bit because they might have a sort of um, smaller budget, shall we say, in order to try and achieve and have a lower tolerance for risk. Potentially, there are ones which have more freedom and a shorter time term um, horizon. But essentially, in terms of how I'm positioned, no, absolutely not. I think both the market and the economy are coming to me. OK. Uh, James Anthony's going to stay with us. We'll pick up with him in just a moment. Uh, let's just remind you uh, what's going on in Hong Kong over the weekend. Hundreds of Hong Kong students skipping classes to attend pro-democracy demonstrations today. That's after a weekend of violent clashes as police used tear gas, rubber bullets and water cannons to disperse crowds that gathered despite a ban on demonstrations. There were violent scenes in the city's subway system and crowds again targeted the city's airports, delaying the city's airport delaying thousands of passengers. Juliana. Let's take a look at where things stand. Uh, now we've come to the end of the month of August. Last week we saw some positive momentum come through for investors on Wall Street and here in Europe, but that didn't do enough to erase the, the losses that we saw accumulate in the lead up to last week. So taking a look at where things stand for the month of August overall, the S&P 500 ended about 1.8% lower. And there we saw utilities, the best performing sector of the month. Uh, that was the, uh, the best performance since February 2016. 17, in fact, and that sector was up more than 5%. So the clear, clear picture is that risk assets came off in the month of August and those defensive sectors benefited. And that's, that, of course, came alongside a plunge in bond yields across the globe. But S&P 500 down 1.8%. Let's next take a look at the Dow, which followed a similar course where we saw positive momentum come together last week, but not enough to erase the losses that we saw earlier on in the month of August. So the Dow ended 1.7% lower, but of course a tremendous amount of volatility throughout the month. So uh, huge swings here. A lot of that, of course, coming on the back of headlines. Let's take a look at the NASDAQ next, the tech heavy index. This index underperformed the broader U.S. market in the course of uh, the month of August, down 2.6% overall. So that was uh, experiencing worse losses than the S&P 500 and the Dow. Uh, let's take a look at the 10-year, though. I mentioned that this uh, all, of course, came on the back of a plunge in bond yields, the inversion that we saw in the Treasury curve driving a huge amount of concern around a potential recession coming through. Now, the U.S. 10-year has closed out the month around 1.499%, but a steady, steady decline downward, uh, as you can see throughout the course of the month of August, and an inversion coming through uh, across the key part of the curve, the 10-year and the 2-year. So that's the picture now as we enter the month of September. Positive momentum last week, but the question is, can that positive momentum continue into September? Steve? Yeah, thank you for that. Well, look, here's a read, and I'm wondering if it's right. Ahead the leader of Italy's anti-establishment five-star party, when does the party become establishment? Syriza, 
Uh, AFD, you know, five-star. When did they become establishment? Anyway, the leader, as my read says, of Italy's anti-establishment five-star party tells CNBC, well, Germana actually, exclusively that a snap election in Italy could happen at any time. Well, we'll ask her whether they're still establishment or anti-establishment and what were the nuggets from that interview after a very short break. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Well, we left off just looking at the U.S. Treasury uh, yield curve and what we saw uh, throughout the course of August. I want to just show you now what we've seen in Europe in the yield space. Of pretty much a similar picture here. The 10-year German Bund plunging to a record low on Friday, currently at a negative 0.708%. Uh, and that, of course, comes amid this search for yield. The expectation that we could see a big stimulus package come from the ECB in September. All of this together uh, combined with the lower growth prospects and inflation prospects in Europe, uh, we have seen European yield plunge. Let's take a look at the UK 10-year. Of course, uh, a lot of idiosyncratic drivers affecting the gilt market in addition to all the global factors affecting uh, broader European yields. The 10-year gilt ending the month around 0.48%. As you can see, some, uh, some oscillation throughout the course of the month, but again, uh, moving lower since the beginning of August. And finally, let's take a look at Italy and the 10-year there. Italian BTPs have been incredibly resilient to the political uncertainty that has unfolded in the country over the last month with uh, the new formation of a government, or at least that's where we're heading at this stage. The 10-year BTB currently around 1.027%. So again, plunging as well right alongside the broader European yield space. So despite the political uncertainty, the demand for BTPs remains solid. Guys? Thank you very much for that, Juliana. Right, okay, Rome should have a new government by Wednesday. That's the view of the Italian Prime Minister-designate Giuseppe Conte, who says talks between the new coalition will conclude this week. He held the relationship between the Five Star and Democratic Party leaders, saying the political mood was good, but Five Star leader Luigi Di Maio uh, hinted that a snap election is still possible. In an exclusive interview with CNBC, I recognise that hair um, of the presenter, uh, Di Maio <laughs> said a vote could happen, quote, at any time. Time if an agreement is not found. Yes, there it is. Hello, Jumana. Look, I have a question before you get into your excellent interview, which I have seen snippets of already. When does a, a movement, 2009, comedian, uh, which was anti-establishment, become establishment and we have to drop that moniker? And the answer I would suggest is A, when they're in government, and B, when they sign up with the PD, which was exactly the party which Griot was vehemently against when he started his movement as well. So we have to drop the anti-establishment thing and say they've just done what Saritza and other people yep. do. They've just come into line, haven't yep, they? Yep, and I think that's a big issue that the Five Star Movement are actually contending with internally. Mm. There are a lot of unhappy members within the party, and actually this is one of the obstacles that we highlighted last week because they do have to put this potential government to their open democratic platform. Mm. There's an open system called Rousseau there 
which is essentially an online platform where every single member of Five Star gets their say in whether or not they think this government should go ahead. So it's quite interesting speaking to some people on the ground and that they, what they may do, given it's a referendum at the end of the day, is uh, phrase the question a little bit differently. So instead of phrasing the question, would you like to enter into a government with PD, which would obviously probably be a no, they might phrase it as, would you like to give Prime Minister Conte uh, the ability to push forward our agenda? in government. Sure. So the phrasing of that question is going to be very important. But that being said, you know, all of that aside, let's just recap some of the, uh, the activity that we had last week. We found out now formally, Prime Minister Conte now has the mandate to put this government together between PD and Five Stars. So all going to plan. But Friday, consultation started between the various parties and Mr. Conte. After which, at about 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon, Mr. Di Maio, who's still the leader of the Five Star Movement, gave a speech essentially giving an ultimatum to PD, saying, look, either you agree with our points and you incorporate all of our points into your platform, or we go to the vote. So I had the chance to catch up with him right after he gave that speech. And I said to him, look, can you just explain to us what is going on here? Let's take a listen. I believe that we can go to the elections at any time in Italy. The truth is that those who now have pulled down the government and are asking for elections because they are looking to escape from the electoral promises that they had made. These are people and parties who had promised, like the Lega, a flat tax of 30 to 40 billion. And when they discovered that they did not have the money, they pulled the plug on the government in order to postpone this. Voting is always a great expression of democracy, but it can be a means to run away from the commitments made to citizens. We don't run away from the commitments we have made to our citizens. I want to give a government to this country, but not at all costs. If another Conte government is formed, it will be formed because we have in the government program the issues that interest people, and we must not at all approximate these issues. These objectives must be very clear. So that was the leader of the Five Star Movement, Mr. Di Maio, saying he wants to form a government but not at all costs. And I think what we need to remember is that despite the polling today, Five Star are still the number one party when it comes to the parliamentary composition. They still have the most seats in the Senate. They still have the most seats in the Chamber of Deputies as well. So when it comes to calling the shots today in terms of the numbers, they still have the flex and they know that and they know that PD will need them to get into government and PD are obviously coming in on the back foot here, that's the established party. But there's another, as ever, there's another complication to the story, which is have they completely ruled out the possibility in the future of tying up with Lega? Because when I was speaking to Mr. Di Maio, he referred to the fact that the government had put in, put in place reforms and the, those reforms seem to be working. So I asked him, have you completely ruled out a possibility in the future of tying up with Lega if there were another round of snap elections? Let's take a listen. I believe that, as we have always said, the concepts of right and left are outdated in the world and in Italy too. We have been in government for 14 months with Lega, during which we implemented unparalleled measures on employment and welfare. Salvini decided to pull the plug on that government because he looked at the polls and wanted to take everything for himself. But those who want everything, lose everything. I think that Lega has had its opportunity to govern with us and to govern this country, and it decided to waste an historical opportunity. So, as far as I am concerned, I am now looking forwards and at what government could be formed in which, if issues and programs are respected, we could do good things for Italy. Steve, I just want to recap something he said there that I think is very important and we will probably remember at some point in the future. He says, the concepts of right and left 
are outdated in the world. So they're not branding themselves as a party of the left or a party of the right. This is a party that started off as a populist party, anti-establishment party from the far left. And today, fast forward, they've been in government for 50 months and he's saying, these notions of right and left are completely outdated. So for me, the way I see that is they're keeping the door a little bit open, potentially, to the possibility of a tie-up with the party I, I, from I the right. I have a degree of sympathy for that. I think it's 3D now. I think it's on multi-faceted levels. For instance, you know, do you want in or out of various uh, political institutions? Uh, James Athey, um, there was a time when we used to say, oh my God, the Italian politics is crazy and they've got so much debt. We do care about it, but now I think markets are saying, oh my goodness me, Italian politics are crazy and they've got so much debt and actually we don't give a job. Well, Otherwise, they, why would Italian debt be something around about 1% mark? Well, three letters, E, C and B, they're, they're the answer to the conundrum really, aren't they? I think investors would dramatically care about all of the things English that you've just described. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, sorry, the yeah. central bank might be affected. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. Um, yeah, so the, the ECB is standing, waiting in the wings, ready to do what it's been doing for the last seven years or so now, right? Which is to take away any threat of any market discipline, take away any threat of risk in the system. They are the, you know, the, the, keep, the keepers, right if you like, in, of in the monetary union. In my kind of balance, that, that I'm an old man, so I've been around in markets for three decades. It doesn't seem right, no matter how bad the politics is, no matter how big the debt is, no matter how bad the uh, growth trajectory is going forward, that we don't worry about these things because we're covered by, as you say, that three-letter acronym. Yeah, it can't be healthy for capitalist markets if you take away the risk of loss, right? Capitalist markets without risk of loss are not capitalist markets at all. They're socialised markets. So I've called this the Eurozone paradox, which is to say these things that they do to keep it together in the short term, weaken it in the long term by definition. Giovanni, you've spent a good few days in Italy. We've got about 30 seconds left. What do you think the chance of, and we're hearing about the UK potentially snap election, but yeah. what about in Italy? Um, I, I asked that question to Mr. DeMaio. I actually said, can you give me a probability of it happening? He wouldn't answer that question, obviously. He wouldn't give me a probability. I actually do think it's an incentive of PD and Five Star to get this government and going. And it, quickly, it should happen this week. Do Salvini and DeMaio hate each other? I, I have no idea. I just think it's a fascinating yes, well, well, the only person that Salvini hates more than DeMaio right now is Mr. Renzi. If you look at their social media, <laughs> okay. they spend the whole time tweeting and posting really angry things directed towards one another. So there's a lot of bad blood between PD and Lega. I would say that Five Star is marginally less hated. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.